Last week, I started a series on prayer and intercession, and I'm going to continue talking about that for a while until the Lord says to stop. And I want to recap a few things from last week's message. The first thing is that God calls us to stand in the gap and to build walls. And what does it mean to be a person that fills gaps and builds walls? It means that every place that the enemy's wreaking havoc in our country, in our family, our lives, our city, that we're praying and we're also taking action. We must be a house of prayer. Jesus called the church and his house to be a house of prayer. We'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like, but you can't just sit back and hope that something happens. You have to do something about it. And so in Zechariah, the Lord basically said, look, the voiceless, the oppressed, the stranger, the outcast, the poor, the needy, they're being oppressed. And I looked for somebody that would stand in the gap and somebody that would build the wall, but I couldn't find anybody. He said, if we don't change things, this land's going to get destroyed, and I'm tired of seeing this kind of oppression around us. So I'm looking for people that will stand and fill the gaps, that will rebuild the walls. And so the Lord had spoken to me in prayer. He said, step in the gap, step in the gap, step in the gap. You can't just complain about the things going on around us. We've got to pray, and we've got to do something about it. Everything starts with prayer, but it also requires action. In this church, there's a lot of different ministries that are taking action. Uh, Many of them that some of you watching online may not know about, but I want to highlight them. We have YWAM ships. We have a youth with a mission base here, and the leaders are part of this church, sending missionaries all up training and sending missionaries all over the world. We have Majesty Outdoors, which is fighting for fatherless youth and is doing a wonderful job mentoring single moms. It's a mentorship program for single moms and fatherless youth. We've partnered to buy nine acres of land, which we've already purchased. We're building a community center. We're going to have a community garden. We're going to have equine therapy. We're going to have trails. We're going to teach kids how to hunt, how to fish, how to camp but all using it with life skills, teaching them what team building looks like and family looks like, and we're all going to get to be a part of that. We have Noonday Ministries. That ministry is fighting human trafficking, and it's doing all that they can to rescue women out of human trafficking. We, we move to action because we have a burden for it. The burden causes us to do something. And if we don't have a burden to stand against pornography, to stand to rescue the women that have been sold into slave, modern-day slavers, sold themselves even by choice, Some didn't, some did, but we've got to do all we can to bring healing to their lives and to help these women that were trafficked. You must have a burden for those that have experienced abortion because they need healing and freedom, be able to tell their story and find forgiveness for themselves. That's happened here at Rock City Church, and that's happening all over in the communities, wherever it is that you live today. We have to have burdens for the people, and the burden moves us to action. And if you don't feel the burden then your prayers will be lackluster. You won't have vitality and passion. You won't pray fervently. And you'll sit back and just hope God does something. It doesn't work like that. God wants to partner together with you. And so God is looking for people that will pray and take action. We have to learn how to reason with God. And I talked about this last week, but I just want to recap a few of these things. Reasoning with God requires a conversation. Why would God ever want to reason with you? He knows all the answers, but he wants you to partner together with him. God desires little old you in a partnership. He's calling us to partner and co-labor together with him. Why? Because when God moves and justice is taken, you'll understand his heart. You'll never discount or question the goodness of God. God doesn't ever want you to question his goodness or question his justice. So he calls you into a conversation with him so that we can move together because a lot of the justice that God shows on earth is through you. We become his hands and feet on earth. So reasoning with God requires a conversation, but it also requires something else that's so important, and that is the power of agreement. God is a covenant God. He wants us to come into agreement together with him, but also with one another. So when he says, my house shall be a house of prayer, A huge factor of that is the fact that we are coming into agreement together to see God's purposes and plans established on earth. So God wants us to reason with him, and God wants us to come into agreement with him. We talked a lot about that last week. We pray from a place of burden and confidence as we partner together with God. He doesn't need you. 
He chooses you. God doesn't need us. He chooses us because he loves us. And it's a wonderful thing to think and fathom and be a part of this reality that the God of all creation and the God of the universe wants to partner together with little old you in your weakness, in your frailty. You know, I think about my best day of prayer and how so often it can feel lackluster or it can feel like I'm being foolish. But God says that the foolish things of this world are of the wisest of men. The foolishness of God is of the wisest of men. And so it's not a matter of our prayers being perfect. It's not a matter of us having this great religious piety. What it's a matter of is, is us looking to God and saying, God, I'm in desperate need of you and I need wisdom in how I'm to pray. We also talked about how it's a tragedy to not have somebody praying for you. Now, I don't know who's praying for me all the time, and there are times that I wonder, is anybody praying for me? Now, I know that people pray for me because we have prayer meetings, and we had a prayer meeting before service today, but sometimes I don't know, and sometimes you don't know, but here's what I do know. If we can get this church praying for one another and praying for the church all over the world, you're going to see supernatural activity happening in each other's life. The church has to get unified together in prayer. You know, a house of prayer is not just a prayer meeting. A house of prayer is the people that are in continuous and constant prayer. A house of prayer is people that love one another so much and have the burden to see them rescued out of hurts, pains, bondage, slavery, or maybe they're not in that, but to see them accomplish every purpose that God has established for their lives. So it's constant prayer, constant communion out of a relationship. Now, one thing about prayer is you don't have to strive in your prayer. I, I never want to hype it, fake it, pretend it. I don't fake it till I make it. Sometimes my best prayer is just get them, God. I don't even, like I could title this message, get them, God, because I don't know everything to pray for. And that's why in Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that you don't know how to pray as you ought to. The faster you can realize that you don't know how to pray as you ought to, the easier it'll be for you to pray. And then you realize, I don't even know what to say sometimes. That's why I pray in tongues a lot. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2 says, you don't know how to pray. You, and so hence, we don't pray to men. We pray the mysteries of God over people. We pray the will of God through mysteries. You know, I'm shrouded in mystery. You're shrouded in mystery. Some of you think you're all so good and hidden in your stuff and nobody knows all your stuff, but God knows. And the minute that God begins to reveal it through prayer is the minute you start to see changes in your life. I know all of us have stuff going on in our personal lives, but God, so many times in my prayer life, I'll see Cameron's face, or God will drop his name into my spirit, or Keith. I don't know everything to pray for Keith or Cameron or Jeremy and Lauren or Nicole, but when God shows me your face or I hear your name, I begin to pray in the spirit, and now he begins to show me how to pray. God begins to intercede on behalf of you through the Spirit as I'm praying, and he begins to do miraculous things. So something really incredible happens when we start to pray for other people's lives, and that's what I'm really going to show you today. All of us should understand that it would be a tragedy if nobody's praying for one another. A prayerless church is a powerless church, and I'll make it personal for you. A prayerless person is a powerless person. Your prayers don't have to be perfect. God takes you as you are, and he can even handle your complaints. You don't have to be all-knowing. All now, he does want you to know his word, but he wants you to come to him as you are and begin to talk with him, and so he speaks to you and brings revelation about what it is that you're praying. A prayerless church is a powerless church. So let's pray. And then finally, in Hebrews 7, I talk with you about how Jesus forever lives to make intercession and he's able to save the uttermost. So Jesus is always interceding on our behalf. Jesus is always filling the gaps on our behalf. In fact, there was a massive gap in your life when Jesus died on the cross. So he stepped in the gap by giving his life for you and now he forever lives to make intercession or to stand in the gap and pray and fight for you on your behalf every single day. He's able to save the uttermost. What does the uttermost mean? The uttermost means the worst. The uttermost means your enemy. The uttermost means the person you like the least. The uttermost means the most difficult situation that you're facing. 
a prodigal son, a wayward husband or spouse, whatever it is, whatever the situation is, God can pray for the person you like the least, or God can move on behalf of the person that you like the least. That's why we need to be praying for them. You don't like the president? You should be praying for him. You got enemies? You should be praying for them. The prayers of others can set us free. The prayers of others can set us free. What do they set us free from? When, when I start praying for you or you start praying for someone else or someone else is praying for you, what happens? It can set you free from insecurity. It can set you free from inhibitions. It can set you free from fears and the expectations of others. It can set you free from prison cells. So I realize that people are in bondage and in prison, whether it's addiction, drugs, infidelity, depression, anxiety, whatever the struggle is, people are in prison. You know, people can be in prison and set free. People can be out of prison and actually locked up in their mind. You know, when I was in prison, some of the strongest Christians that ever ministered and discipled my life were there. Why? Some of them are there for life or 10 years or 20 years. So the strongest mission field for them is behind bars in, in the prison system. But yet there's people that are out of prison that are locked up in mental bars, mental anguish, fear, worry, doubt, and depression. And so when we start praying for people, we can see them set free from prison cells, right? And we're going to talk about that today. Some of those prison cells we have created in our own mind and others people have created for us. You know, I loved what Lacey taught on in Job. Look, it's easy for me to own up and say I sold myself into prison. I'm in prison because of the bad choices that I make. But sometimes you didn't make any bad choices. Sometimes you did exactly what God told you to do and the enemy is persecuting you and you're going through hardship and suffering and pain. And that's by design because suffering and difficulties produce something powerful inside of you. They make you lean and mean and they cause you to pray. If you don't have a burden in your life, then you will pray without vitality and power and fervency. But when I have a burden, I pray earnestly. The best prayers come from a desperate place. One of the statements I've had a lot in my life for a really long time, and I'm going to say it again for this church, is only the desperate survive. Let's say that together. Only the desperate survive. So God has this way of making you desperate. Let's pray this. Say, Lord, make me desperate. Now, if you really meant that, that's a dangerous prayer because God has this way of making you desperate, doesn't he? I've, I've always called it living on the edge where I feel like at any minute I'm going to fall off and die, but I'm hanging on to his rod and his staff through every difficulty, every risk, every hardship, and even failures or poor decisions that I've made in my own life. God, through his mercy, has always seen me through every single time. So prayers can release people from bondage or prison cells or difficulties and persecution and suffering. It was in this case that Peter was delivered from prison because of the people's prayers the third time. So Peter was put into prison three times. The third time that Peter was put into prison, and I'll tell you the story a little more here in a moment, but I want you to look at Hebrew, or I'm sorry, uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 11. Acts 12, 11, when Peter was set free miraculously from prison, this was a miraculous deliverance from prison. Three times, this is the third time Peter had been in prison. When Peter was set free from prison, there were 16 guards that were protecting him. Okay, there were four squads, and a squad can at least be four people of soldiers. There were two guard gates or booths and an iron gate. He was locked up in maximum security prison of that day. It's the third time. Now, we'll read a little bit of the story of how he was delivered in just a moment. But I want you to see this, that when he got his deliverance, look at the revelation that he got for himself. All right? He said, when Peter came to himself, he thought he was in a vision. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So what is deliverance? Deliverance is to be rescued from bondage, to be rescued from being imprisoned, 
Many people are in bondage to fears, worry, drugs, addiction, lies, insecurities, the economy, whatever it is, the world system around us. To be delivered means to be plucked out, drawn out, rooted out, and tore out. It means to be chosen and selected out like a group of people, and I'm picking you. So for Peter, finally, after three times of going to prison, he realizes God rescued me from the world system, from the oppressive government, and from the expectations of the religious leaders all around me. Doesn't that sound like what we need deliverance from today? Here's the thing. We already know there's an oppressive world system going on. And we've got it made here in America compared to many other countries. But don't think for a second that this battle's not coming to your doorstep. Don't think for a second that the closer you draw to God, this is a known fact. I want to tell all of you this. The more you determine to go all in with the things of God, the more you determine to be more radical, the more you determine to preach the gospel, the more you determine to get off the bench and play in the game, the more that you determine to say it does take all that because the world says it doesn't take all that. So the religious leaders were like, just be a nice Christian. But God doesn't want you to just be a nice Christian. He wants you to pray fervently and aggressively and he wants you to do something about it. So the minute that you take a stand is the minute your friends, your own family and the world system is going to put expectations on you to dumb you down and say, it don't take all that. You don't need to pray in tongues. Yes, you do. You need to pray in the spirit because it has power and it intercedes in a way that you don't even know how to pray. It also brings understanding to things that you've never seen or understood before. You don't know how to pray as you ought to. So she And next thing you know, after about 10, 15, 20 minutes, you are on fire. You know, most of the times I don't feel like praying, but I don't, I don't not pray because I don't feel like it. My flesh, your flesh doesn't dictate your spiritual life. If I, if I waited to worship when I felt like it, I might not worship. You know how many times I come to church and I don't want to be here? Many times. Just do it for 10 years. You have sick days, struggle days, flesh days, hard days, long days, tired days, sick days. But you know what? I keep showing up. And sometimes when you're hanging on by a thread, all you know to do and all you should do is just keep showing up. You never quit and you never give up. My dad taught me when I was nine years old. He said, son, I'll let you be a part of soccer, but you never quit ever. And you never quit anything that you join. And I'll never forget that. And so my whole life, there's not one thing ever, 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 not one thing ever that I have quit. When I make a commitment to something, I stick with it. Now, God will call, can call you out of things like jobs, or he can have you switch churches or move to different cities, but, you, but that's not quitting. That's fulfilling until God moves you to the next thing. So I've never, ever, ever been a quitter, but there's days that I want to quit. But I'm convinced after all these years of ministry, so much of it's just hanging on and showing up. And you know what happens when I show up, when I don't want to show up? God shows up. You know how many times I've come to church, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't feel like, man, next thing you know, I'm boohooing and crying my eyes out, or I'm on my face, or I'm lifting my hands, because it's in those weak, desperate times that God shows his power in my prayers. What, are you thinking of be Mr. Mighty Move Mountain Prayer Guy all the time? It doesn't work like that. God moves in your weakness and your brokenness, and he moves when you make the decision to say, I'm going to stay with this no matter how I feel and no matter what I face, because God looks for consistency. He looks for constancy. I'm going to show you what it means to be constant, because when you remain constant and consistent, God brings fervency. I don't want to fake hype my prayers. I don't need to jump around like a monkey and in a cage so somebody will throw me a bone. Or that God will move on my behalf because I performed good enough. You come to God as you are. You come desperate. You come broken. 32 of the Psalms are open complaints of God. You think God can't handle your complaint? Take it to God before you take it to Facebook. You got to get off the gossip train and get on the J train. Yes. Because you want to call up somebody and complain or talk somebody, 
Take it to God. He knows, all, he knows everything. This is why we reason with God. That person, Lord, is so crazy and such an idiot. I want to strangle them. I want to punch them in the face. And God says, I know you do, son. But I had mercy on you. I forgave you when you didn't know what you were doing. You can forgive them when they don't know what they're doing. It's okay to just be honest with God. He doesn't want your false religious piety. He wants authenticity. He wants you to be genuine. Genuine when you're not drinking wine. He wants you to be real with him. He loves you as you are. Talk with him. Commune with him. Have a conversation. Stop living as a victim and being afraid and shame. You know, the Bible says if, you're, if your strength fails in the day of adversity, how great is your strength? Your strength is small. And guess what? Adversity's every day all around. There's never a time I feel like I'm not in adversity. But if I respond and you respond right, guess what happens? Your strength gets stronger. You don't shrink back. You show up. And I don't care if you drug yourself in, drug, drag yourself in. Some days all I know to say is, God, I love you. Lord, I just love you. I don't even know what to say. And when I think about you and my prayers, I don't know what to say either, except get them, God. Lord, you know what they need. God knows what you need before you even ask. He knows every number. That blows my mind. I think that's gonna be the first thing I ask God. How do you count all the hairs on my head every day? Because I lose a lot in the shower. That's how intimate God is with you. That's how close he is. He loves you. Stop letting your own situations get in the way. You don't arrive. You keep fighting. You keep pressing. You keep trusting him no matter what you face. So when Peter got delivered, he realized, first thing is I got delivered. Now, when you get delivered, something powerful happens to you. You really realize you don't have to measure up and be a people pleaser anymore. Notice he said, he delivered me from the expectation of the Jews. Now, what was their expectation? The last two times that Peter got arrested, Acts 4 and Acts 5. I'll paraphrase the stories for you because I'm going to make a bigger point and I don't want to overwhelm you with so much information today. I want you to get this revelation. I would bet every day, many, if not most of us, wrestle with comparison and feeling like we're not measuring up spiritually and that there's an expectation that I'm not adhering to. Don't, this is a religious spirit. You think the religious spirit's not alive and well in your coming against you in your life today, it always does. You're not doing enough. You're not measuring up enough. You're not performing, or you should, or you shouldn't, or you're doing something too much or too, whatever it is. In this case, the expectation of the Jews was that Peter should stop preaching the gospel, stop preaching in Jesus's name, stop doing the signs and wonders and miracles that you're doing. So in Acts chapter four, I'm going to summarize these two chapters for you. In Acts chapter four, right after Acts chapter three, Peter and John healed the lame man at the gate called Beautiful, right? So gate called Beautiful, this man had been lame his entire life. Peter and John show up, silver and gold I have none, but what I do have, looking intently eye to eye, he looked at them, they looked at him, made eye contact, and that lame man knew there was something in Peter and John that he desperately needed more than money. He gets healed a miracle, literally his entire life, he had been lame and probably most of his life sitting at the front door of our church at the biggest, most beautiful gate where most of the people would go asking for money or begging for money. He was a beggar. And that day, right after Acts chapter two, after the power of Pentecost shows up and they're filled with the spirit, they're going to the temple and suddenly they see the lame man and they say, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give to you. You guys should know the story ecstasy, amazement, wonder. The people flipped out. They were in total awe. It knocked them out of their mind. It literally, they could not believe that this guy was now leaping, dancing, and twirling around in the temple because he was healed. This is what you would do. 
You would do the same thing. And you would not care at all what anybody thinks. You would be so excited. And that's the kind of fervency and passion I want to live with every day. I sold acid, did drugs, was on the streets and in prison, and my life was destitute for death or jail or abuse. I, in a million years, could have never made myself who I am today. And when I think about where God take, took me out of, you better believe I'm gonna dance and shout and twirl. And I don't care what you or you or you or anyone or online has to say about it because I know what I came out of. And it's the same story for you. You may not, now my wife, we all know she's not here today or she was here last service. We all know that she didn't do what I did, but she needed Jesus just as bad. And the truth is, is every one of us gets delivered. When you come out of something radical, he who's forgiven much loves much. So this guy's like wild and crazy. Well, the people were ecstatic and they were looking to Peter and John as if they were the ones that did it. And they said, hey, it's not us. I'll paraphrase it for you. I'm nothing but a PVC pipe. The water's just flowing through me like a funnel. It's God. He's the one that did it. He used us through it. And then Peter takes the opportunity to preach the gospel. And suddenly all the people are astonished and believers, thousands of people are giving their life to the Lord in those few chapters. The church goes from 120 to 3,000 overnight. Then it goes to 4,000 the next day. Then it goes to 5,000. You need to understand what is the radicalness and the craziness of what's happening was really ticking off the religious leaders. So in Acts chapter four, the Sanhedrin and the high priest of the temple, they take Peter and John and they put him in jail. And the next day, they put him before the council, and they say, we forbid you to preach in Jesus' name or to teach to anyone in this name. And Peter says, what's it better for me to do, obey you or obey God? And they basically say, there's no way that we're going to stop preaching the gospel. And so they threatened them. I'm paraphrasing. I know the story really well because I believe this is such a picture of the modern-day church. They threatened them two times, vehemently threatened them. You better stop or we're gonna either lock you up in prison or we're gonna kill you. That's probably what the threats were, right? So what, is, what do Peter and John and the apostles do? They go next level. They go like totally next level. And guess what God does? He goes next level. So suddenly incredible miracles start happening in the apostles. So much so that people are bringing their sick and dying out on beds and couches out into the street. So that this is Acts chapter five now. So much so that they were hoping Peter's shadow would walk by so that they would be healed. Then people were coming from all over the region, sick, and it literally says demon-possessed, were coming and they were getting deliverance and they were getting healed. And then it goes on to say all of the Christians that were scattered from the persecution of Stephen, this is summarizing Acts 5 for you, all of the scattered believers suddenly were walking in power and people were getting born again and saved and the church was miraculously growing because of a persecution from Stephen and because Peter had just been thrown in jail and and was like, you better stop. Just tell me to not preach in the name of Jesus. I double dog dare you. I know y'all wouldn't, but somebody may. And don't think this isn't happening in the world around us and may not, don't think that this might not come where you're deemed intolerant. It's already happening. And so in Acts chapter five, miracles, signs, wonders, and guess what happens in Acts five? Here comes the Sanhedrin. Here comes the religious leaders again, except this time they actually threw them like really into a prison cell. And you know what happens? An angel comes and leads them out of the prison cell miraculously. This is Acts 5, second time Peter's put in prison. The angel leads them out and guess what the the religious leaders do again? Threaten them one more time and say, you better, listen, I'm telling you, you better stop. We've already told you once. I'm telling you again, you better not do this again. And then a religious leader rises up. This, there's a great line in Acts 5. And then basically this religious Gamaliel, or I forget his name. Gamaliel, yeah, he says, 
he reasons with the Jews. like, listen, we've had all these different sects of religious leaders rise up and they've always, we've always killed the leader and the people just scattered. And he says this one powerful line in Acts 5. He says, if this is from God, you need to know something. If, well, first off, if it's not from God, it won't work. It won't last. But if it is, you are fighting against God himself. And that's why if you ever hear me say this statement, I'm going to say it over you. What God has ordained, no one and nothing can deny. Come on, y'all. You just kill one and here comes 10,000 more. You think you're going to stop a move of God? You can't stop. Man, I feel the Lord all over that. You think that God is, you think God's fallen off the throne and caught off guard by what's happening in the world? No, he's looking at us. We are the answer to the world around us. A powerful church that's a prayerful church is what God's looking for. Now, I just like telling stories. You guys enjoying this? All right. So in Acts 5, they threaten him and they say, you better not preach again and they beat him. Yeah, they get beaten. So they beat him and they let him go. Now, when the angel delivered him in Acts 5, guess what the angel told them to do as soon as they were delivered? Go right back to where you just got arrested and preach the gospel. Not flee the city. Run and hide. Build a bunker. Prepare for the end times. Seriously. I'm not saying you shouldn't have some preparation because we're in the end times and I don't know when the end's gonna be and I'm looking at my son every night going, Lord, take your time because my son's got a promise on his life and I can't wait when I'm gone in heaven to watch what he gets to do with the legacy because I'm not just saying, Lord, just come, hurry up, God, come back. My, I don't want my kids to see this crazy world around me. I'm saying, Lord, I'm gonna prepare my kids for this crazy world around me. Today's December 4th, right? I know I'm make some of you mad, but I don't even care. <laughs> Tomorrow, my Disney Plus subscription that I should have already canceled goes up in price. Now, I had to say, not only with their woke agenda that they're trying to push on my kids, but now they want to charge me more money, today I will be canceling my Disney Plus subscription. <laughs> Now listen, listen, don't get mad. It's not some of you also got it. It's okay, you gotta be spirit-led. This is a lose-lose for them and me, in all honesty. Like, like, we just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy some of the Marvel movies. Not some of the most recent ones, because they've gone another level that now my kids can't enjoy. It's a sad reality. But we have just thoroughly enjoyed some of the older ones, and Star Wars, and Wonder Woman. I mean, the messages in Wonder Woman, I'm preaching the gospel to my kids watching the messages of Wonder Woman. Seriously. The, 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 some of the message lines in some of those earlier movies were absolutely fantastic, and you can use that. It's a lose-lose for all of us, Disney. Seriously. But you're going to charge me more money for your woke agenda? All right, there was my little rant for this morning. But my point that I'm trying to make is Peter gets delivered and the angel in Acts 5 says, go back to where you just got arrested. Can you imagine? Go back to where you just got arrested from and preach. Preach the words of life actually is what it says. Now, I'm summarizing a lot of the word for you, but in Acts chapter 10, so the church is expanding. People are getting saved all over the place. In Acts chapter 10, something really incredible happens. The gospel goes to the Gentiles for the first time. This is Cornelius' house. Now, some of you don't know the story, so I'm kind of paraphrasing the stories for you because maybe some of you haven't read that in the Bible or never read your Bible before or don't know the story. So I'm trying to help you understand. In Acts chapter 10, and I may do some teaching on this, Peter's at, at about five o'clock in the afternoon praying on top of a house, and there's a, a an a Italian regiment guard leader named Cornelius, who's also in prayer, and they both have visions in their prayers. Peter's having a vision of a sheet rolled down with animals all over it, and God's saying, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no way, I'm not touching any unclean thing. 
What do the animals represent? The Gentiles, right? That what would be considered unclean to the Jews. Well, Cornelius has a vision that he's supposed to send for Peter. Nonetheless, the Gentiles get filled with the Holy Spirit. They start prophesying. It's a powerful move of God. Here comes the uh, apostles from Jerusalem to check out and see what's happening. Like the church is blowing up. God is on the move. It's radical. It's incredible. The church is on fire. And then all of a sudden, we get Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Let's look at Acts 12, 1. If the religious leaders couldn't do it, we're going to raise up the government. And here comes. Now, this is the third Herod, three Herods. This is the nephew of Herod Antipas who killed John the Baptist and had, was, had Jesus crucified, the nephew. And that Herod was the great-grandson of Herod the Great, which is the Herod when Jesus was born that killed all the... This was a generational curse in that line to destroy the church. And don't think that there's not a spirit of Herod coming against the church today. In many ways, that spirit's manifested through abortion. Okay? Killing children, killing the babies. Same spirit. Same spirit. So this Herod raises up now, and he decides he's going to stretch out his hand to harass some of the church. Remember what we just read about Peter? I'm going to give you a great line. The hand of man can never stop the hand of God. The hand of man can never stop the hand of God in your life. Now, what does it mean that Herod stretched out his hand to harass? This word harass means that Herod had decided he was going to destroy. He had an intent for evil to stop the church and the movement. Satan literally came into the king, Herod, and said, I'm going to stop the church. You know what the first thing he does? He kills James. Jesus' brother. This is 10 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Only 10 years after. The very first martyr in the church ever was James. And it says, if you keep on reading, verses two through four, it says that when Herod saw that killing James pleased the Jews, he arrested Peter. Peter was on deck to die. Fortunately, it was the Passover. And so he knew that you couldn't kill the Passover because it would incite a riot and violence with the Jews. And he wanted to make the Jews happy. So he just put him in prison. You can go read this for yourself. Verses two through four says that he put four squads, night and day watch, and put Peter in the inner prison with two gates, two guard booths, and an iron gate. And what happens? You can read the rest of the story, verses six through 11, but let me tell you what happens. In the middle of the night, Something incredible is happening in the church while Peter's in prison. Let's take a look at verse 5. Verse 5. While Peter is in church, I mean in prison, while Peter's in prison, it says that the church offered constant prayer. Now, I don't know why we didn't see the church praying like this before. But what I can tell you is when suffering and hardship hits home, it causes you to do something, right? Like imagine if one of us in here were unjustly accused of something and thrown into prison, what we would do. Imagine if it was a family member or a close friend. And now maybe because James had been killed, the church really decides that it's gonna step up and, and offer constant prayer to the Lord for Peter. Now this word constant is a very powerful word. I want you to see this word. It doesn't mean I just didn't stop. This word constant means I was earnest and I was fervent in my prayer. I was passionate about the prayer. Why? Because the burden was so great, we were about to lose another one of our closest friends and disciples. He was on deck to have it himself or have his head cut off. And so the church offered constant and continuous and fervent prayer it means assiduous prayer, showing great care and perseverance. But there's one other word that I want to tell you about in this word constant, and it means 
their prayers were stretched out. They stretched out their prayers. So while they prayed in the home of Mary for Peter, all the way in prison, what happens? A light shines. He's got two chains on his arms, so his arms are bound. He's in prison. There's two guards on each side, and there's 16 soldiers that are protecting him in prison. And what happens? The angel shows up. The glory of the Lord shines. The angel kicks Peter on the side, says, get up, put your clothes on. And literally the angel leads him past all the guards out of the prison, past the gate, into the city. And that's where we saw where Peter came to himself because he thought he was in a vision. He literally, it doesn't say he pinched himself, but I think he pinched himself because it seems so surreal, such a supernatural occurrence. He thought he was in a vision but he wasn't. And that's why I want to tell you guys that your prayers can release supernatural activity in other people's lives. Now, I don't believe that you can, you can or ever should command angels to do something, ever. I never command an angel to do something. I don't ever, that, that is a false teaching in my opinion. Now, angels are ministering servants in flames of fire, but we are made a little bit lower than the angels. God's the one that, they do God's bidding. So what I pray is I say, God, send your angels and get them. Lord, release your angels and touch them, God. Lord, I thank you for your angels. My wife said to me as I was telling her about this message, she says, I want to see an angel. I said, well, all you got to do is pray and ask God. She goes, I have. I said, well, do it again. She goes, okay, I will. And then I said, I'm going to start praying. Now, I don't pray for you to see angels, but I pray for your life, and I believe that as I pray or as you pray for someone, God can release supernatural activities to touch somebody's life where you could never touch them. Lord, send a dream, send a vision, send a sign and a wonder or a miracle. Snap them out of their slumber, God. Get them, God. Send your angels. Lord, touch their lives. Cause them to wake. Cause them to be woke woke, like real woke, not fake woke, not worldly woke, kingdom woke, not Disney woke, kingdom woke. Amen? Whatever it takes, God, whatever it takes. So you know how last week I told you guys how when I often am in worship, like today it happens, and it really happens when the band starts flowing in the river and they start singing prophetic songs, and I'm a tenor, and I'm not a great singer, but I don't really care because I sing my guts out, right? And that's why the music's a little louder and I try to not be a distraction, but but, you know, we used to have a lady here, and man, when she worshiped, you could hear her voice, Mama Colleen. When Mama Colleen would pray in this sanctuary, you could hear her singing to God in the spirit. And so many times as, I'm, as the worship's going or I'm in prayer, I start singing to God or praying, and God starts to take my prayers into different places. I can see my prayers going places I could never imagine them going. I'm in the spirit. See, John was in the spirit on the Lord's day when he had a vision. Zechariah was in the spirit when God took him by the hand of the Lord to the valley of dry bones. You have to understand that God takes you with your prayers. Did you know that's in the Bible? You know what else is God prays that way over you? Zechariah 3, 17. Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord's a mighty one who sings and rejoices over you. He's a warrior dancing over your life. He's singing over your life. So why wouldn't you sing over someone else? That's why the Bible says when we come together, we should bring spiritual songs singing in the spirit. So now as I start to sing or as I start to pray, I see your face. I see your name. I mention your name. And now God begins to penetrate your heart through our intercession. Isn't that powerful? By the way, this is a powerful scripture. I might teach more on this. God's dancing. That word rejoicing is the, literally he's twirling and leaping and dancing over your life. So many of us could never imagine that. But do you know God loves you so much? He's having a party over you. He's a good God. Now, you know what's so cool about this scripture? The next one. The next one's really cool. Verse 18 says that the reproach of his house has become a burden to the people. And you know what happens when there's a burden? You pray. And he, it literally says, I will gather them together because they have a burden. And that's what was happening on the day of Pentecost. That was what was happening when Peter was in prison. The church was earnestly praying. 
Now, this is really is honestly such a great story. I'm just going to paraphrase the rest of it for you because it's so much fun. And then I'm going to pray for you. While the people were praying in the house, literally as, I'm, as they were praying, they hear a knock on the door. While they're in the prayer meeting, praying for Peter. Whoa. There it is. So there's a knock on the door. Here comes a girl, Rhoda. She peeks out the door, the little window. It's Peter. She's so completely blown away with joy that she doesn't even open the door. She runs back to the prayer meeting. And in the prayer meeting, she goes, they're like, God, please, Lord, set Peter free. Protect his life. Don't let him die. God, we're just praying. Guys, you'll never believe this. You're never going to believe this. Peter's at the door. And they said, girl, you crazy. You are cray-cray. Isn't it funny to think? This is so like us today. Please, God, please, God. Oh, instant prayers answered. No, it couldn't be. It couldn't be. And then, and then they said, she's like, no, no, really, really, it's him. And they're like, no, it has to be his angel. Now, why would they say that? Because believing in guardian angels is a very real thing. They knew by the spirit that God had assigned angels to people's lives. You know that everybody has familiar spirits assigned against your life from the enemy's camp. You know what a familiar spirit is? Familiar family, they knew you, they are familiar with you, they followed you, they were assigned against your life. Don't you think for a second that the devil has an assigned minion demons against your life, defeated, powerless demons that are just already defeated against your life. But as much as the enemy has assigned demons against your life, God assigns angels for your life. Look, you may feel alone, but you're never alone. You may be lonely, but you're never alone. God has assigned supernatural angels for your life. Now, I don't always see them, but seers see them. We have seers in this church that see them. Now, I can feel them. I may not see them, but I can feel them. And I genuinely believe that God assigns angels to our life. So these people were like, you're still lost your mind. It's not Peter. It's his angel. And they're like, Rhoda's like, no, it really is him. It really is him. And I want to show you in verse 16, Acts 12, 16, Peter kept knocking. And when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. I love this word astonished. It's the same word was used when the man at the gate called beautiful was raised up in Acts 3. It's the exact word for ecstasy. The exact word for ecstasy. Now, I never did ecstasy. I, ne I did other things, but not ecstasy. But I know what real spiritual ecstasy feels like. From the Lord, it really knocks you out of your thinking in a way that makes you just ecstatic so happy, so joyous, so wildly in love with God. It's so beyond, it flips you out of your mind. That's why people take ecstasy. It's a false high. It's an illusion of what God always intended. That's the same with drunkenness and drugs. People take drugs or are alcoholics because they are tired of dealing with themselves and their minds. They say, I'm just tired of dealing with myself or living with myself, or the pressure, or the stress. I just need to relax. I just need to feel good. But you see, God never designed you to live with yourself. He also never designed you to do drugs. He designed you to live with himself. And that's why no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself, which is why I'm like, that's a scary thought. No pun intended. It's a scary thought, right? You talk to yourself all the time. This is why we want to always be communing and talking with the Lord. I'm always connected with him. I'm always talking with him. I'm always like, Lord, that's what it means to be spirit-led. My greatest desire in life is to be spirit-led. Yours should be too, which means constant communion and prayer. And the true sons of God are led by the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 14, which means you're a daughter. 
And when you're led by the Spirit, he always reminds you who you are. So it doesn't matter what the Spirit of this age or others say, I always know who I am. It doesn't matter the extenuous circumstances. I'm confident on the inside because of my identity. That's the way it is for you. You're a daughter. You're a son. Now it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because if God is for you, who cares? Right? So they were astonished. I want you to imagine for a moment being astonished because this is what I want for this church. We're going to become a house of prayer, and when we do, where we already are, but imagine the miraculous. Imagine your prodigal son or daughter coming home. Imagine getting a phone call tonight from your daughter or your son that's wandered from God or is angry at God, that doesn't know God, and they call up and say, you'll never believe what happened, and your hair stands on end. Imagine somebody you've been praying for for 20 years, 10 years, 10 months. This is why today we're gonna conclude this service by asking God who we're supposed to be praying for. And we're gonna be spirit-led in our prayers. See, I told you last week, I did away with my list. I don't have a list. My list is whatever God, because I want spirit-led prayers because there's too many people and I wanna pray for the right person at the right time. Hence, my list can get in the way. Because my list may have the 10 people I always think I should pray for, but God's like, no, I got somebody else. See, God can even take you to somebody you don't even know. He did that to me in a dream. I told you about that last week. There's a lot of you, I don't know your names. The church has grown a lot. Many of you, I don't remember your names. And I don't know anything about you, but God does. I see your faces. God can show me a face I never knew or saw. I can be in the middle of worship. God starts to speak to me about Adam Johnson. He starts to tell me about what an incredible father he is. And he reminds me to remind him, because I've reminded him before, that he's so proud of you, Adam. He told me that today. Today, God began to speak to me about Jason. And God started to show me Isaiah chapter 40. And he said, Jason, you're going to mount up with wings as eagles. You've ran and grown weary and fainted. But God says, you better get ready because your child likeness moves his heart. Don't give up, son. I'm about to do a miracle in your life. I wasn't even thinking about Jason until I was in worship. I'm just saying to you, God is so strategic with his prayers. He wants to pray through you and with you. You just have to allow him to do it. And then what, imagine when something so incredible happens in that person's life, you just are beside yourself. You know, we were praying for Colton and Morgan. We really were praying for y'all, genuinely. And I had a word from the Lord. And I remember saying to Colton, stand firm, falsely accused, unjustly accused of something that they didn't do. And in the natural, it seemed like it could destroy their lives. And the vision was dead. And all the things they were passionate about were dead. And then all of a sudden, God turned the, t- turned the tide, and they were, they, not only were they reconciled, but they were justified. And now the devil has nothing to say. And they adopted a beautiful little boy. We must be a house of prayer. And I want to talk to you, lastly, about Jesus and his prayers, okay? Look at Hebrews 5, 7 through 8. We're going to close with this. Hebrews 5, 7... Let's just take a quick look because we're going to talk more about the prayers of Jesus and how he prayed. We're also going to talk about the bowls of heaven that are being filled with your prayers. We're going to talk about the harp and bowl here in the coming weeks at some point. And in that bowl, one of the bowls has the prayers of the saints, like incense. And what's God doing with those? The bowl gets filled, he tips it over or it overflows and the prayers get released back to the earth. So I, now I know when I'm offering up prayers, I'm filling a bowl, I'm agreeing with God, and he's moving miraculously on your behalf. Remember, God can save anyone anywhere. Don't discount God. Come on, mama. Some of y'all have been praying for your sons and daughters. I just feel the Lord on this. Never Stop. And when you hear about persecuted Christians, people dying or somebody thrown in prison or hardship, look, God's not caught off guard. They're having a conversation. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord declared the decree and said to me, ask and I will give you 
This is the father having a conversation with the son in Psalm 2, and I'll give you the nations. So if the nations are inheritance, let's pray. Come on, Lord, save North Korea. Save Kim Jong-un. Or remove him. I'll pray that all day long. Save him or remove him. Corrupt pastors in our nation, save him or remove him. And I'd rather you save him. I'd rather you give him a fresh fire. That cessationist Baptist pastor you used to have, pray that he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit in the middle of the night. Instead of being mad that they shut you down. They didn't know what they were doing. Love them better. Pray for the people that you struggle with the most or you think God could. Just be extravagant. Stretch your prayer out. Now look how Jesus prayed. In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, how? Vehement cries and tears to him who was what? able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Let's pray like Jesus. You know why he was praying like that? Because he was about to die. You know why the church was praying in that in Mary's house? Because the day that Peter was ready, that next day he was ready to take Peter out and Peter's head was about to get chopped off. They prayed and God moved. God answers prayer, beloved. He'll answer your little old prayer, the easiest of the simplest of prayer for your family, for your future, for your friends. Don't think God can't save your closest friends. Imagine if your best friend gets born again. Imagine if that friend you went to high school with that you loved the most that you used to get high with all the time. That's me. I have friends like that that are now peering in through this camera online every week. I have friends that I went to high school with that I used to skip school and or old, old girlfriends that I used to sleep with that now I've seen my heart and some I've repented to, but know that God has changed my life that are now watching to this day. And I'm praying for you. I'm praying for a, a radical move in the people's lives that have been close to me that don't know him the way that I do. I'm praying for the persecuted church. I'm praying for this church. We want to pray like Jesus prays. So let's close our eyes for a moment. Let's not wait for more persecution to come. Let's not wait for a greater battle on our doorstep that's already at your doorstep. You guys know that. The battle's already here. going to prepare our children. They're going to run longer than you, farther than you. You're going to fade out one day. Who does God want you to pray for? Let's ask him that right now. I want you to ask him, Lord, who do you want me to pray for? Everybody say that. Now, this is spirit-led prayer. Close your eyes. Come on. Don't look at me right now. You close your eyes to be inward with the Lord, to be introspective right now. It's contemplative prayer. Ask the Lord a question. Who do you want me to pray for? How do I pray for them, Lord? Maybe you just say their name. Why don't you just say their name right now to yourself? You can whisper it. You say it in your mind. You, never, you wouldn't believe where God will take you. Man, I just feel the weight of the Lord in this house right now. There's the burden. It's, it's got to be a burden to pray. Your coworkers, your friends, everybody's got a lost loved one. Don't beat yourself up because you haven't prayed, been praying for them. That's not the point of this time. Stop that. Just pray now. Just say their name. Sometimes it's just mentioning their name. See, everything starts first by seeing the gap and filling the gap. Gap fillers 
and wall builders. God will show you how to build the wall. Just first, see the gap. Oh, you wouldn't believe the gaps I see for some of you. I can see them. But love covers a multitude of sins, beloved. Stop being so angry. Forgive them for they know not what they do. You can still forgive them. Some of you need to forgive today. Some of you have been real angry. Forgiveness is the golden key. If you're watching online, just close your eyes and just allow the Lord to reveal to you who he wants you to pray for. Who's in prison that needs to be set free? Let the presence of God come over you. Rest, lean in, relax into your prayer. Relax into your prayer. He's the God of the impossible, the God that makes all things possible. God, I want to thank you that Rock City Church is a house of prayer. It's not a building, it's a people. The walls don't make a family, the people do. A home is only a home because of the family that lives there. You are a house of prayer, beloved. Just pray. You don't have to be so great at it. Just talk to the Lord. Let him speak to you. Let him comfort you. When we walk out of these four walls today, this church is going to pray like it's never prayed before. There is a prayer movement that's coming to this house. And from that prayer movement, we're going to see a healing movement. So God, I thank you so much, Lord. Hear the cries of our hearts today for our spouses, our children, our friends, our family. Get them, God. Just say that. Just say, get them, God. It'll bring a lot of joy to your life. Just get them, God. You know what to do. That's what I say. Lord, do what you do best. Touch their lives. Set them on fire. Heal them. My dad. God, cause my dad to be born again. Cause my dad to call me up and say, I gave my life to Jesus. Cause our daughters and sons, cause our prodigal children, cause, cause our spouses that aren't on fire for you to say, I had an encounter with the living God. Raise up a generation of Joshua's, teenagers and young adults. Thank you for last Wednesday in the youth service we had, Lord. It was so incredible. I was so moved, so moved by what you're doing in the youth in this house. Send our prayers, Lord. May we travel with our prayers. Show us how to travel with our prayer wherever you want us to go. I bless your life with signs, wonders, and miracles, and dreams and visions, angelic encounters, that you be grounded in God's word, that you would have God's word as a treasure chest written on your heart so you'd pray God's word back to him. Lord, give this church a desperation for God's word. Cause them to be hungry and thirsty to know you through your word so that we can pray your word. Fight with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Lord, I pray for fervency and consistency. Constant prayers in this house. And Lord, I want to thank you for 10 years. We celebrate 10 years as a church this coming week. Thank you for 10 years. I thank you that in the 10th year, Rock City Church exploded with life and love and power and freedom and health, healing and signs, wonders, miracles. Children were flamed on fire. In the 10th year of Rock City Church, I see it written in the Chronicles of Heaven. In the 10th year of Rock City Church, in the 10th year, start to see people's names that you're to prophesy over. Give us a word of the Lord. 
help us to pray it through. I bless you. I bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Get us past the expectations of the religious leaders in comparison to other churches or other things happening. Thank God for the other churches, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in their lives. Thank you, God, for showing yourself strong. Lord, pour out your spirit mightily on the churches of this city. But help us, Lord, to not bow down to religious expectations, but only to the expectations that are divinely orchestrated by you and your word and through others. And I thank you so much, Lord God, that the spirit of Herod in this age that wants to kill us and divide the church will only cause us to be more on fire. We love you, God. Set us free and deliver us. Woo! And I just feel that fervency in your heart, God. Shh. Break us out of the prison cells, Lord. Some of you need to say, break me out of my prison cell. We love you, Lord. I love you. Just tell him one time before we finish. Say, I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I love you, Holy Spirit. You're so good, God. Thank you that you never gave up and you never will. And as you've done it for me, do it for those that we pray for. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.